Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and I am so thrilled to have with me today Dr. Dan Siegel. He has been a guest multiple times. He is an incredible contributor to the field of child development, to the field of psychiatry, to the field of interpersonal neurobiology, to the field of psychology, and his parenting books, The Yes Brain, No Drama Discipline, Brainstorm, so many more are game-changing. Today, he's here to talk about Intraconnected, the integration of self-identity and belonging, to explore the fundamental question of how we define who we are what the self actually is, and a new way of approaching the idea that we are more than just solo self-focused, that we need to be interconnected, and how to do that as parents. If you enjoy this episode, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and write a review. And I'm so thrilled to offer my premium subscription series exclusively at Apple Podcasts. For $2.99 a month, you can get solo episodes, no ads, with whole topics that we're exploring over the course of the season. Go check it out and please subscribe. And subscribe to my free newsletter on Substack. It's pretty great. I talk about the episodes, key points from the episodes, and expanded ideas that I got when thinking about these episodes. There's also an option to have a group with me once a month where we see each other live virtually and talk about raising good humans. Thank you for having me. Oh my God. It's so dreamy every time. Thank you. The conversation that I'm so excited to have is this idea of the solo self versus interconnection and all of the, I just want you to go. I just want you to speak about this because I know that so many parents talk about the worry of helping kids find their authentic selves and that then they worry there's too much focus on inward centered self and not enough focus on outward. And it feels very binary. And I love your way of taking binary out of the conversation and coming to we and interconnectedness. So Dr. Dan Siegel, I am just leaving this to you. 
Well, thank you, Dr. Pressman, for having me. And it's really an honor to be here to speak with you about this. You know, there are some simple terms that we take for granted as people on the planet, as parents raising kids, as professionals, whether we're educators or therapists or just out working in the world and organizations or even in politics, that are words that that we just say, well, we know what they mean. And one of those words is the word self, you know, S-E-L-F. And the, the issue with words is that they have meanings, of course, that's why we use them. And they're what are called linguistic symbols. And these symbols, these words are on top of concepts, things that we believe that actually act as filters for how we perceive things. And these concepts are sitting on top of categories, how we divide the world up into entities, into you know things that we see as separate from each other. And so because words are on top of concepts and categories, they're actually really, really important to look at how we use them, what we mean by them, and then question whether we feel okay with how we're using the word. And so in the book Intraconnected, it emerged because I was working with some system scientists and we decided in part of our journey of working together, we'd go on a retreat. So we went up to Colorado and part of the seven day retreat, three days of it was being in quotes alone, unquote, in the forest. So in separate places in a forest, we were there just being by ourselves. And the experience was very profound. And when we came out, everyone shared what they went through. And people said some really beautiful things that I really resonated with, like they felt interconnected, they felt interwoven, they felt interdependent, they felt uh, interlaced, they felt inter, you know, in interbeing from a Thich Nhat Hanh term. Everything was inter and it came my turn to talk. And I resonated with what people were saying, but I just couldn't use the inter term because I said, well, my experience wasn't so much the betweenness, which inter implies. It was the withinness, like I was within a whole, I, I was the trees and the creek and the sky and the body called Dan and all that stuff. So I guess I would say, and I paused and I said, well, I guess I was saying I was intraconnected and everyone kind of nodded and that felt right. And so when I got out of the forest and back to, you know, computer land and started typing some notes up to remember what I experienced, I would type in intraconnected and the word processor would automatically change it to interconnected. And I said, well, what's wrong with my word processor? Why is it on autocorrect? And it turns out there is no word intraconnected. And I thought, well, that's strange that if we don't have a word for speaking from the experience of the whole, the W-H-O-L-E, then maybe we don't really even have concepts and categories of ways of thinking about the world, speaking from the perspective, the whole, the feeling of the whole, how do we act on behalf of the greater good, you know? So that, that was a part of a journey that led to this book where I had already been using the term MWE, M-W-E, for basically how to talk about our modern culture and what our identity is, because so much, you know, in the field I'm in, mental health, you know, has been in the last 70 years about things like self-actualization, 
self-understanding, self-realization, self this, self that. And it hasn't done much good for helping people's mental health or happiness, you know, to be basically taking the word self and making it the same as your individual body. Mm. And yet it is so taken for granted when I go around asking people, what is the self? They point to their body. They go, here I am, you know, which in our culture makes sense. But if you look at the science of the self and realize it's about the feeling of aliveness called subjectivity, the sensation of being alive, it's about the perspective, the P, the point of view that you can take. And it's about A, the agency, and that is an acronym SPA. So the SPA of self- I knew there would be an acronym <laughs> and many. <laughs> Always an acronym, yeah. yeah. So, but I had to, you know, I went through all the science of self that I could find. And, you know, there's so many different ways of exploring it from a scientific point of view. And even in indigenous teachings, of course, it's been taught for a long time that who we are is much broader than the individual person in the body and in contemplative teachings too. So this was really inspired by personal experience, but really it's been talked about for thousands of years. But in science, you know, what we try to do is add to that discussion in in this book. What I tried to do is take all the different sciences and say, well, why has modern culture made self the same as the individual? And, and is that an issue? And I think it's actually not only an important thing for parents to know about, but for our whole culture, modern culture, you can really look at the pandemics of the virus, COVID-19, you know, that we're facing of the, of the illness, COVID-19 and the virus underneath it. You know, you can look at racism and social injustice. You can look at polarization and misinformation. You can look at addictions, including addiction to screens. You can even look at the pandemic of loneliness and even climate change. You can look at as an excessive differentiation of humanity from its intra-connected place with the whole of nature. So, so then I realized, well, then maybe there could be a contribution to exploring how the self gets created across the lifespan so that wherever you are in the journey, raising kids or you're a teenager or you're you know, a college student exploring who you are or, or, you know, out in your life as an adult, you know, there's so many ways where we have windows of opportunity to actually examine what we may have been living as, as a self that's only in the body and instead widen that term to include an identity lens that can be shifted from the individual, sure, you have a body that's an inner self to, in the broadest sense, a relational self, which is connected to people, not just friends or people who look like you, but to all humanity and to all of nature. So in the book, Interconnected, what I do is introduce this idea of an identity lens and do you know different kinds of experiences and, and also talk about the science of this lens that allows you to see how subjectivity, perspective, and agency can actually be adjusted across this narrow in in your body to wide your all of nature experience. And then it becomes filled with awe because that's actually what awe is a self-expanding emotion and fills with compassion and gratitude. These are the traditionally known as self-transcendent emotions, but, you know, they can be renamed as self-expanding if we take the word self and realize it's not just the individual. 
So I'm super excited about it. It's a conversation, you know, whether you dive into the book and get the the deep science of self-experience and what we can do about it, or just take this conversation you and I are having and say, we need to have this conversation all over the world because the modern culture is not just in the West, it's all around the planet, unfortunately. And so people are feeling the misery, the chaos and rigidity that human suffering is composed of. And I think there's time and there's a way to do it. And so the book is a book of hope that says, look, here's something that we made on a thought was an issue in modern times, but indigenous teachings have taught it's an issue. Contemplative teachings have taught it's an issue. Let's listen up to their wisdom. And hey, here's some science of human development that shows these windows of opportunity to expand how we experience and express this broader view of what the self is. And now a word from my sponsor. You've got New Year's goals and HelloFresh is here to help you achieve them. So skip the grocery store and take control of your time and budget with delicious recipes delivered right to your door. HelloFresh's festive flair collection features limited time recipes made with seasonal produce and premium proteins so you can get out of that post-holiday slump with elevated winter classics. And also, it's just an easy way to eat well and save money. You can cut back on expensive takeout and delivery and get started with HelloFresh. They're fast and fresh recipes that feature robust flavors and filling portions, and they're ready in less than 15 minutes. 15 minutes, you can enjoy taste and quality and feel like you kind of home-cooked food, but you had a lot of help in the process. For me, since I'm not the most amazing cook, I sometimes fall back on takeout and it feels so good to use HelloFresh and have all the ingredients ready, know exactly what I'm supposed to do, throw it in the pan and voila, in 15 minutes, I am a proud working mom who made a home-cooked meal with really very little effort. So go to hellofresh.com slash humans21 and use the code humans21 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. So you've got America's number one meal kit and with this special Raising Good Humans discount, Humans 21. Can we talk about those windows of opportunity in development to expand this view, whether you have, I mean, the, the listeners are for the most part parents, caregivers, or those who care for parents and caregivers. So if we think about development and those windows of opportunity, what are some some ways to look at that science and translate it to expanding that view of self at the earliest ages? Yeah, well, the first thing to say as a parent is that this invitation is not to burden you with more things to do or more things to worry about. In fact, it's a kind of unburdening because I want to begin with your beautiful question and to say that, you know, there's there's a term in the, I'm an attachment researcher and in, in our field, we have a term called epistemic trust. And epistemology and philosophy is how we know what we know. And epistemic trust is when you, you hear a person like an attachment figure or a person in, in authority like a teacher or the head of a company or head of a country, you know, and, and what they're telling you is consistent with the truth. And then you get this real deep feeling of comfort, of safety, empowerment even, you know, wow, 
we are working with the truth. But when there's a violation to truth, it's a violation to epistemic trust. And it really makes you feel sometimes beneath the surface of awareness, really uncomfortable, unsafe, disempowered. So what I want to just begin with is that modern culture giving us the message that the self, the fundamental way you identify who you are and the nature of how you belong, when you define the self in this very narrow way only, then it's a violation to epistemic trust that I think is making everyone feel you know, like you're just, people maybe can't see your face, but if you saw your, your face right now, it's like, yeah, it's like a relief, like, yeah. oh my gosh, you know, we've been told a lie. We've been sold a bill of goods. It's wrong. So the first thing to say, even if there's nothing specific that you take from what our conversation is into your parenting, but instead take the relief that uh, parenting in the modern culture where we're told the self is separate, is a violation of epistemic trust that makes parenting feel really tense and something's wrong and you don't even know what's not quite wrong because you're, you're raising a kid with the belief that, oh, the self is in the body only. And so then what you do is you feel really, oh, how do we do this? How do we do this? And then you start clinging to artificial attempts at certainty. Yes. As the, the artist Rashid says on the Brooklyn Public Library, you know, having realized the flimsy fantasy of certainty, I decided to wander. But yeah. we don't realize it's a flimsy fantasy. We cling to it yes. because we're trying to live a lie. That's the first thing to start with. Begin with yourself and just soak this in. And then mm -hmm. we'll talk about the stages of child development. But it begins with parent development. That it's like, whoa. Absolutely. Yeah. and and. And isn't all of this what, what it's like the side door into this is really about our collective. Well, now my language is all wonky, so I have to reevaluate. <laughs> but my prior way of saying it would have been, you know, we think about what we're supposed to do to support our children. But what what's happening is what's going on with ourselves as a collective adult parent or support figure and as a group, as a community in the world. And then of course we can think about these developing humans. But exactly. If, if we don't start here, what is the point really? So I'm glad you said that. And I also wonder, there is so much tension between as you're thinking about your developing children there's so much tension between helping them grow in the world that they are living in and supporting them and helping them feel a sense of agency and perspective and all of the things that will make them feel actualized. And somehow that feels very separate from participating in the larger, greater good and what can you do for others and the other of it all. And so there tends to be this, well, I want my kid to be a member of, you know, this smaller community in the larger world, but I, and be able to move through that world in a way that's acceptable and thoughtful. And also I want them to honor their voice, their insides, their meaning, and it can turn into a lot of a feeling of self-absorption, 
amongst our own sort of individual child rearing or what we're trying to support in our kids. And it's tense. That tension feels confusing. And one of the things that is helpful is to just expand the view of this all, that it's not about that self that we were thinking of as the individual. And maybe if we lift that burden, we unburden ourselves from the desperate clinging to making sure that that individual is actualized outside of the context of, of the self that is interconnected, that sort of feels like, okay, that makes sense to me. I mean, now I did not articulate that in a way that I'm super proud of. So I would like to look to you to help me out here because this is all very new for me. And you yeah, brought no, this and, up long and, ago. I mean, you've been talking about we since I met you, but now yeah. it's now it's make like you've put this together and made sense of this in this book. But I need your help <laughs> right now because yeah. I know you know what I'm trying to say, but I don't know how to say it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true for all of us, including this body called Dan. You know, it's we're so swimming in a culture where self is considered a synonym for the individual and you know in a very kind of doubting way which i have a very doubting mind that challenges everything i think of or even challenges my own doubts which is so it's going to be exhausting but you know so you can say well you know forget it just let's let the self be a synonym for the individual and why is that a problem well it's a problem because if the term self and the concept of self and the category of self is about where you place your energy for really enjoying the subjective experience, where you place your energy for how you perceive what matters in the world, the P of spa, or it's where you place your energy on how you act on behalf of the well-being of whatever this entity called self is, then in fact, it really matters that this word we have for all those things that shape our identity and that determine our belonging, if it is narrowly defined as the individual, then it's basically explaining much of modern culture's woes. It, I think, can explain almost all the pandemics we're facing. And the painful news about that is we've constructed our own worst nightmare. The good news about that is since the mind is what constructed it, we can actually go deep into the mind, which I do in the book, and deconstruct it and actually construct a better way of living. Let's start with parenting, you know, but this applies to education and applies to therapy and applies to how you work in a corporation and how you might work in a government. And, you know, it applies across the board, but let's start with parenting because, you know, as a parent, when you soak in this message, it begins to loosen up the tension of this violation of epistemic trust. And it also allows you to feel the larger reality that kids already know that they are profoundly, profoundly relational. They know that from their first breath out in the world. They know that, that when you feed them, they, they experience that. So, so instead of thinking, oh my God, how do I teach my child how they're relational beings? It's actually, how do you, how do you protect them from the modern cultural lie that's not only a lie that's, you know, mistaken, but it's a lie that's actually a lethal lie. Dan, the, one of the things that has driven me crazy is so many people saying to kids, 
And people said it to me all the time, like, nobody can make you feel a particular way that's on you. And I'm like, what do you mean? If you walk into a room, you're nervous and everyone in the room is angry or sad, your nervous system notices. So of course it's going to affect you. But I think that the reason we've been feeding that, I think, lie to everyone is is in the well-meaning service of saying, you can control yourself. And, and so you don't need to let people make you feel a certain way, but it really does remove this incredible information that we have, as you said, like children know, you don't need to teach them that we're relational. Of course we impact each other. Right. Well, exactly. And, you know, I mean, just to get a little wonky for a moment, you know, as a parent, what's really helpful or what at least helped me as a parent was, you know, I was learning to be an attachment researcher right at the time we were having our first child and you know attachment is about studying relationships and i was already kind of working on this notion that my field psychiatry was possibly mistaken by taking on what hippocrates said 2500 years ago so in modern medicine also psychology not just medicine you know saying the mind is what the brain does and that therefore the mind your mind your subjective experience you know, the way you think about things, you pay attention, all that stuff is only inside your brain. And even though I'm trained in neuroscience, it just seemed wrong, but it was what everyone was saying in my field. So, so when we had our first child becoming immersed in the relational world of parent child connection, you know, it was really, it became very clear that the mental life of the family which went from, you know, just my wife and I, and now we have our son, you know, there was now this thing that was happening, whether you call it a relational field or, you know, the family environment or whatever it was, it was very real, you know, and maybe it was very different from the family I grew up in, fortunately, but it was, you know, it was a, it was a relational field you could cultivate to be compassionate and empathic and tuned in. Or, you know, like when I was growing up, it was not those things. So, you know, you could really shape a relational world. And so from that time onward, we're talking about 1989, we had our son. I was a research fellow at the National Institute of Mental Health, studying relationships. And yet I was also in the field of psychiatry, which was very individualistic and a part of the whole field of mental health, which was, you know, self-actualization, self-discovery, self this, self that. So it was the beginning, in terms of your question, of feeling into what ultimately, you know, 10 years later, I'd write in a book called The Developing Mind, was saying that if the mind emerges from energy flow, the skull and the skin are not impermeable boundaries of that flow. So yes, energy and information flow inside your skull. It's true. Energy and information flow inside the skin and case body. It's true energy and information flow between you and me right now and among all of us who are listening into this conversation. It's true. And if you take what Lisa and I are saying and you start having a conversation, you're extending the mental relationality because energy and information flow doesn't care when there's a a skull or skin that might block it, right? And a relationship is the sharing. So it started becoming clear during that decade the decade of the brain, that mm. in fact, the brain was more like an antenna than just the source of something. 
you know, it would be like saying you watch, you know, Forrest Gump on your TV screen and you think Sally Field and Tom Hanks are in that TV. It's just expressing something coming in those days, you know, from the antenna, from the 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 electromagnetic waves that were showing it. And yeah, in fact, it's analogy. just right. Yeah. So so in this way, you, you know, we're not putting the brain down. We're just saying it's part of a much larger system and the relational system. So the point is, is that if the center of experience that we use the word self to refer to, and we identify the features of this center of experience, and we act on behalf of this center of experience, where's the center? If energy and information flow is what we're talking about. Well, that's how you can feel into the relational identity of the family. You can you can be in a forest and you can realize you are the forest because you, in terms of that being a word, you know, you are the energy and information flow and you can feel the subjective sense of it. You can take the perspective of the forest. You can actually act on behalf of protecting that forest. So even though forests can't walk around and vote, you can vote for things. My daughter just put out a paper with a colleague on, you know, the, the midterm elections were all about wildfires, really. I mean, all about what we're doing to try to protect the world from her doctoral program in environmental science. And, you know, we are nature. So it's more than an academic issue. How are we defining the self? And little things, and you're talking about how to word it as a parent. And this is what I would say in terms of the first stage, you have an infinite home and you start taking on this intra-connected view of self. And what do we mean by that? We mean the withinness is that you realize there is a body, you know, called Elisa, called Dan. There is a truth to the fact you have a brain in that body. And no one's denying that, at least not in this perspective. And <laughs> then you say, that can be taking the identity lens and in a helpful way, you know, doing a tight focus of it like you would with a camera. And just like you like you might look at the details of the petals on a flower, that's all good. No one's saying there aren't petals on a flower. But the flower is in a whole rose bush, and the rose bush is in a whole garden, and the garden's in a whole park, and the park is in a whole community, and the community's in a whole city, city's in a whole state, the state's in a whole country, and the country's in a whole planet. And all of us are deeply intraconnected. So it just says, use your identity lens. And sure, enjoy the petals of the flower. Smell the aroma of that flower. Great. No one's denying the beauty of the details. But build your skill of this identity lens, which you can preserve in children and name it in children, so that the, the word we just is a simple, funny word, but it's like, you have an interiority that is your inner self in terms of how you word things. So that instead of saying a word like, let's say, uh, self-awareness, you might say inner awareness. Or if you have a word like self-compassion, you don't say that. You say inner compassion. Because that if we keep- change is so key. Like, I just want you to keep on this because the self to move to inner makes it so much more clear. It's so much more clear. And also you don't necessarily need to fixate on inner all the time. Exactly. Well, that's exactly it. The fixation sometimes is good. That yeah. is a narrow focus okay. of your identity lens. And then broaden, practice broadening your camera, you know, 
yeah. then you go, whoa, so you mean I'm people in my family? Yeah, you are. And you mean I, you know, in the broadest sense of the, my identity, is also all humanity. Yeah. You know, and then the, the, the thing that when you take that we in, so the we is the part of the interconnected identity that says, you know, um, if we're just using a spatial reference point, we'll use the skin encased body to say what we mean by inner is what's inside the body. And what we mean by inter is how this body is a part of a larger whole. So it could be with family members. It could be with all kids in your class. It could be all members of your school. It could be all people in your community. It could be all of humanity. It could be all of nature. And, and all that means is you're just adjusting the lens. And in our wording, we would put that all under we. And then so when you use the word we, the fun thing about it is, and we can't find a language where this exists like this. And, you know, so maybe we just need to bring it into the world, you know, because once we make a symbol like mui or intraconnected, those are two new words, you know, and you don't want to create new words unless you need to, but it feels like we need to because we're, literally we're at a loss for words. Like, well, am I a me or am I a we? Which one is it? And you go, no, 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 you're both. And then people sometimes say, well, how can, if it's a mind thing, how can the mind be both two places at once? And then you go, it's not two places because the skull and skin aren't barriers. That's the illusion. And that's where modern culture equating the self with the individual in the body is really a lethal lie because people are running around thinking, I'm just in here, I'm just in this body, Dan is here, Dan. And then it, it feels so wrong, but you, it, you think there must be wrong, something wrong with you, but you're being told a lie. And then what you do is you run around saying, I better accumulate stuff, I better get things, because, you know, whatever is happening, I don't feel really fulfilled. And then people, not all people, but many, many people are struggling. They want to get distracted and they want to do something to get rid of this, this pain, this existential angst, this anxiety they have that something isn't quite right. It all feels kind of totally meaningless. And then what's amazing about the Mui is, and I tried to do this in the book, and, and when I read the audio version of it, the, the audio engineer start entering like this expanded st state. And so he stopped being able to do the engineering. So we had to pause, talk about it and, and let him get back to doing his work. So I could tell him what was happening as I read the book. But what I try to do in the book is give the reader a kind of a personal journey to look at how self is experienced now in modern views, and then to see that you can go across time even and realize all the ancestors that have preceded us in all of evolution, not just human evolution, and then go across space. So use space and time as just dimensions and then realize that, yeah, right here and now in this very moment of time, you know, you can think you're only in the body, but actually there's a human being near you and there are other human beings and there are all of nature. So whether it's across time or across space, you kind of expand this sense of connection, really. And that's what interconnected invites us to do is, is to feel it. And so what is it, what, what's kind of a, a, an amazing, I don't know if the side effect or outcome is that, at least for me in writing the book, my whole relationship with death has changed because when you realize that the body that gets about a hundred years to live is not the wholeness of who you are, 
then the fact that the body is going to die stops being such a freaky thing. Literally, it's just stops because that's it's not the issue. That's a part of a much larger whole that is your identity and it's where you belong. You know, I remember sitting, I just need to let that land a bit. Let's just be really, you know, gentle with each other because, you know, when you become a parent, it's like a whole new ball game that there's this wonderful being, your child, that you are in charge of their safety and their survival and you want them to thrive and, and, you know, and the world is presenting us certainly marginalized people more than non-marginalized people, but everyone is presenting with, you know, all sorts of huge uncertainties. And um, so wherever you are in the, the caste system of America or whatever country you might be in, you know, these, these issues present us in different intensities, but it's true for any, any parent. So then, you know, in terms of this issue of how you as an adult deal with like the meaning of things and all that stuff, one image just to stay with this issue of dealing with the hundred years you're given in life, you know, someone, I was in, I'm in a regular group we meet and someone was, had someone in their life that was facing dying and they really asked for help from the group. You know, how do I deal with this idea of someone I love dying? And, you know, I've had a, couple of very dear friends die in the last 10 years and 15 now and someone relatively recently and so it's been something that you know I wonder how do you word this so what I said to them was you know there is one perspective which is like of a space-time block you know where space and time are not what we think they are but instead it's like a ruler where if you're if you and I were an ant at inch four, we walked over to inch five, we walked over to inch six, and we're hanging out on inch six. We would say, oh, inch six is really cool. Yeah, we love being at inch six. We would think inch four disappeared. But in fact, from our perspective, we just can't see it, but it's still there. So a space-time block makes that kind of three-dimensional and just says, look, anything that ever existed, like let's say the hundred years you get to live in a body, that never disappears. So my dear friend, John O'Donohue, for example, you know, wonderful human being, he lived to 52, you know, we shared a lot of laughs together and then his body died. Now, what I used to say to John when we used to teach together was that there was an eternal imprint. And I talked to him about this view of the space-time block. And it's kind of like a, think about the analogy of like a big, big, beautiful home we all live in. So you and I are now in the, in the living room hanging out, having conversation. There's some people in the den and some people in the ante room and some people are in the kitchen or whatever. So John existed. So nothing, even the death of his body takes that away. And he's still in the den. Now we may be in the living room. We can't go over to the den, but he's still in the den. And you know, this isn't, I, this isn't just magical thinking. It's basically taking the space time block physics view of reality and taking a deep breath and saying, we're all interconnected in this reality of ours and your consciousness in this body gets this segment of the space-time block. You, you get to be in the kitchen or the living room or whatever and have a really great time. 
enjoy it, have fun, share love, make love, enjoy the body, enjoy the senses, help people realize you're part of the greater good. But if you start fretting that, oh my God, I only get to be in the living room. I can't go over in the den and see the other people. You know, you're just going to destroy the time you're in the living room. So we're going to keep going with this conversation next week when Dr. Dan Siegel is going to be back. We're going to talk about helping kids find their inner compass beyond words, helping ourselves and our kids get more attuned to interconnection and a real understanding that who we are is broader than just ourselves. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.